But before you sit down, there's a, a, a tradition amongst believers that on this day specifically, when they would greet one another, they would traditionally say, he is risen, and those that know the truth would respond, he is risen indeed. And we'd be remiss not just to carry that little tradition on. So friends, we sang these songs because we are people of hope, because we believe he is risen. Amen, man. Praise God. Why don't we grab a seat together? Let me just pray for us. Father, as we do grab a seat, we thank you that Jesus is not in the grave, that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, where he will return from there one day to judge the living and the dead. And Father, we just acknowledge that all of us deserve judgment apart from the work that that Jesus that we just sang about paid our debt for. And so it is so easy to sing. We thank you that the one thing that is due you, praise and honor and glory, is the very thing that when we do it, helps us the most because it reminds us of who you are. So would you remind us again today of the kindness of your love and would you use that kindness to lead people who don't yet know it to repentance, move them out of cultural churchianity and into an abiding relationship with you that spills out for a whole lot more than just a moment in corporate worship. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, ours is a singing faith, man. It, it is just so fun to get together and, and to sing and to declare truth through song. Um, we have been having a blast just writing songs and um, strengthening our own heart by just meditating on ways that we melodically and lyrically can celebrate who this Jesus is. And we're singing a bunch of those this morning. But in addition to loving songs, I, um, I love nicknames. I love uh, just the, the intimacy that it shows, the awareness of another person, and just a chance to kind of label them with something that we think um, rings true and loud in their life. So, you know, I heard a nickname last night of Davion Mitchell. Anybody heard of Davion Mitchell? Yeah. Yeah, so just a few Baylor Bear fans in, fans in here. There's another college here in Texas that if I mentioned it, it would get out of control, so we'll leave them alone. <laughs> but Davion Mitchell's nickname is Off Night. Off Night. That's what his friends call him. And it's not because he doesn't do well. It's because, like yesterday when Baylor was playing Houston in the Final Four, they put Davion Mitchell on the other team's best player, and that other dude is then locked down and is about to have an Off Night. That's a great nickname, Off Night. There are all kinds of nicknames. Sports are most famous for nicknames, but kind of the king of nicknames had to be the Vikings. I'm not talking about the Minnesota Vikings. I'm talking about the Nordic Vikings. They had some great nicknames. Um, there's one guy that I, I, I was just looking at this called Sigurd the Snake Eye. And you can just imagine what he looked like just by hearing his nickname. But a couple of my favorite ones, one is Ulik of the Heads. Because apparently Ulik, once they had um, marauded a particular area, would collect heads from his victims and would take them back to him on board his little ship and stack them up in his room. And so his buddies called him Ulik of the Heads. There's another guy called Olaf the Tidbit. Now, I imagine Olaf wasn't very big. And so they called him Olaf the Tidbit. So many great nicknames. Um, there was a, a nickname that was given to Louis XVIII. Louis XVIII is the French emperor that uh, succeeded Napoleon. And they were looking for somebody that could uh, lead the land and they really didn't have anybody, they thought of any nobility or any renown. And so they grabbed Louis XVIII 
And his nickname amongst the people was Louis the Unavoidable. Not a great nickname. Like, this is all we got, let's go ahead and take him. Alexander the Great, about 300 BC, he was called the Madman of Macedonia. We know Elvis was called the King of Rock and Roll, also called Sir Swivel Hips. <laughs> Michael Jackson, we know, was called the King of Pop, but his family called him by another nickname. He was called Applehead. That'll help you out sometime on some trivia game. Neil Armstrong was called the Ice Commander, first guy to walk on the moon. Edwin Aldrin, we all know him as Buzz, right? Because her, his uh, sister couldn't say brother, and so she said, this is my buzzer. And so he legally changed his name to Buzz. That's how Buzz Aldrin got his nickname. Michael Collins, who was the other guy on that initial uh, moon mission, is called the Forgotten Man because nobody knows Michael Collins. <laughs> nicknames are great. Probably the greatest um, giver of nicknames ever was a guy named Grantland Rice. He was a, uh, a sports journalist for the Atlanta Constitution, and he's the one that came up with the Galloping Ghost for Red Grange. Red Grange. He's the one that named the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. He's the one that named Ty Cobb the, the Georgia Peach. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I love nicknames, right? The Bible loves nickname, John the Baptist, right? That's a nickname. But before I get lost too much in this, I will tell you that sometimes names aren't just nicknames, they just describe really who a person is. And one of God's favorite, if you will, nicknames of himself is this. He calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is an interesting thing to call yourself. And what he's basically doing right there is he's saying, this is my CV, this is my resume. These are clients that I've worked with in the past. So if you wanna know who I am, go talk to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what I thought I would do this morning, and you're going to see how it ties in to the songs we've already been singing, is talk about why God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But before we get to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let's go back 10 generations to Noah and several generations before that to Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve are physical, historical creatures created by God to enjoy him forever. And because God's a good God, he created a world not filled with thorns and thistles, but was Edenic, it was paradise. Everything was as it should be for Adam and Eve. And God said, I want you to enjoy one another and I want you to reproduce after your kind other people that will enjoy me and know me. But Adam and Eve did not believe ultimately for very long that God was good, his word was true and disobeying him was not that big a deal. And so Adam and Eve left God and they bought a lie. And as a result of what Adam and Eve did, thorns and thistles came into a world because it was no longer God's world because men said, we don't want God's world, we want our world. We wanna do what seems right to us. Now what God did when Adam and Eve did what was right to them is he let them live in the consequence of leaving him. This is how God had described himself. In the glory of his creation, he showed that he was kind, that he was good, that he was beautiful, that he was gracious. And he warned them that he was also just and he must judge sin. And so when Adam and Eve left him, the God of love and the God of life, the God of light, what you see is immediately death came upon them. Now, that wasn't just physical death that was immediate. It was just death in the world. You want to know why this world is so despairing. 
because this is not our father's world. I mean, it still is in terms of his sovereign rule over it, but he is letting us, the descendants of Adam and Eve, live in a world that is not the world that he intended for us. It's a world that doesn't have love, it's got a lot of hate. It's a world that doesn't have all light, it's got a lot of dark. It's a world that doesn't lead to more life, it's a world that leads to death. The wages of sin is death, but God's at work in the midst of death. What God did to show Adam his goodness is he came to Adam and he asked this question. He, um, Adam heard the God who was kind but was also just coming. And it says, when he heard the sound of God approaching him in the garden, the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of God because they didn't want judgment. And God just said to him, Adam, where are you? Now, it wasn't because Adam found a great hiding place behind a rock. It was because God wanted Adam to, to declare that where he was was now in a place of shame and guilt and division and enmity. And creation wasn't what it should be. And his relationship with his wife wasn't what it should be. And his relationship with God wasn't what it should be. Where are you, Adam? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you alone? Now what Adam had done to cover up his guilt and his shame is what men always do. He had tried to create a garment for himself based on his own works and his own effort to cover his nakedness and shame, but God said that just won't do. But because Adam, I am not just a God of beauty and goodness, and I'm not just a God of justice, I'm about to show you something you've never seen before. I'm a God of grace and mercy. And so what Jesus, what God did, is he introduced into that world sacrifice. It says that God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. In other words, Adam, what you're trying to cover your sin with isn't going to work. Fig leaves, the works of men that you can stitch together, aren't going to cover your nakedness and your sin. What will cover you is when there is death which is the wages of sin. Now, the Bible doesn't describe what kind of animal was sacrificed there in Genesis 3, but I believe it was a lamb because God's the master teacher, and you're going to see a lamb continue to appear throughout the rest of recorded history, and ultimately you're going to find somebody comes who's identified as the lamb of God who can finally take away the sins of the world. So there was an innocent creature whose life was sacrificed as the beginning illustration of the fact that you need something that will cover you and will allow you to be restored in relationship with me. And by faith, Adam received the gift of God. And by faith, Adam's sin was covered. But here's the problem, because it is the law of creation that creatures reproduce after their own kind, Adam and Eve, had offspring after offspring after offspring that continually left God and believed that he wasn't good, his word wasn't true, and that disobeying him wasn't that big a deal. It got so bad that eventually God decided to destroy the entire world except for one man that in his kindness um, lived in humility. His name was Noah, and, and Noah was preserved from worldwide judgment. But then Noah had 
three boys, and they didn't do so well, and we get to 10 generations later, and all of humankind is dispersed all over the earth, and there is trouble again. And then, out of paganism, out of rebellion, out of ignorance, God decided again, in his grace, to pursue men, to redeem men. And we have a figure that shows up that became a big part of God's nickname. His name is Abram. Abram shows up at the very end of Genesis 11, but specifically in Genesis 12, we have these words. Now you need to know this. Abram wasn't seeking God. Abram was not a good man. Abram was not a devout follower of Jehovah. Abram was chosen by grace. And God said to him, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to leave your family traditions. I want you to leave the way that men think about me, and I want you to come and follow me. I want you to trust me. And if you trust me, I'm gonna do something you can never do for yourself. I'm gonna make you a great nation. And not just make you a great nation, but I'm gonna bless you. And I'm blessing you not just because I, you've won the lottery, but because I want the world to see where blessing comes from. You are going to be blessed to be a blessing. And I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm never going to forsake you. You're going to forsake me, but I'm not going to forsake you. And God made a blood covenant with him. And he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And my intention is that through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what would you do if you were just some pagan idolater and all of a sudden God appeared to you and pulled you out of darkness into his marvelous light and just said, I'm gonna bless the world through you. Would you be like locked in, say, let's go, I'll trust you forever? Well, Abram did respond to God, but Abram was the son of Adam, just like me. Which means even in the midst of God pursuing him, sometimes, often, consistently, we don't believe that God is good, that his word is true, and that disobeying him is that big a deal. Let's just walk you through Abram's story a little bit. I think you'll be encouraged who the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob are. And so here we go. We're, we're tearing into this little section of Scripture, and we see that the very first thing that Abram does is he goes to this little land, and, and in that land, God pushes him a little bit further south, and so he shows up in Egypt, and because God had given him a smoking hot wife called Sarai, he said, listen, these Egyptians are going to have eyes for you, and what we need to do is tell them that you are my sister, let's lie, because I know God said he's going to bless me, but just in case he's taking a nap. Why don't you say you're my sister? Because when we tell people you're my sister, they're going to want to curry favor with me and things are going to go well with us. Well, things didn't go well with Pharaoh because Pharaoh spotted this good-looking dame and said, I want you to come into my household and kind of stuck her over there with his women that he was going to get to eventually. And before he could get to her, there was a plague that came on Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh realized very quickly that the reason there was a plague, because God revealed it to him, was because he was about to mess with another man's wife. And he went to Abram and he said, what are you doing? Why did you bring judgment on me and my family? And he chased Abram out of Egypt. And so very early on, we see that this Abram's a liar. He returned to Canaan. When he got there, God had so blessed him that he and his son Lot had now too much that they could live together and all the abundance that was in that land. And so they split Lot chose the valleys and the fertile plains and the cities. 
But God said to Abram, I still got you, man. Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and all this is going to be yours. I'll take care of you. And God continued to bless Abram. Trouble came to Lot's household. God used 318 men to go kill four kings that had oppressed the family of Abram because God was with him. And so Abraham continued to not be a perfect man, but God continued to perfectly provide for him. And then Abram's promised a son. But 10 years after that, the son still hadn't come. And so Abram goes, well, if God wants to give me a son and my wife and I are not having children, why don't I go ahead and commit adultery? And so he takes somebody from Pharaoh's household that had been given to him when he left as a servant and said, now you're going to be my mistress. And so he sleeps with this mistress. So now this liar is an adulterer. Hagar has a young man by the name of Ishmael, becomes the father of um, ultimately the Arab nations as we know them, that from them came a, uh, a faith system that to this day are enemies with Abram, but God in his kindness continues to bless Abram. Things happen where Abram kind of moves himself over to what we know today as the Gaza Strip. It, it, it's a land that was run by a guy named Abimelech. And when he goes there, having been promised a son, being seen God's blessing, having God protect him from four kings that attacked him, rescue him from his lying and the plague that he brought, he goes to the land of Abimelech. And while he is there, he says, hey, I know it's been about 20 years since we did this thing in Egypt, but you're still a smoking hot wife. So why don't we tell him that you are my sister again? And he goes there. And he lies yet again. And in a dream, God appears to Abimelech and says, hey, I'm going to do to you worse than I did to Pharaoh if you don't not do to Abraham's wife what you got planned to do to Abraham's wife. And so Abimelech goes to him again and says, why are you a liar? Why would you let your God bring judgment upon me? And so Abram goes out. Eventually God gives him a son and then God tells him, hey, I want you to see if you trust me, so I want you to take that son, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And so Abram goes to offer him as a sacrifice and he builds the altar, he lights the fire and the son says, hey, where is the sacrifice? And Abram said, well, he looks a lot like you. <laughs> and so Abram goes through with what God told him to do and he shows a tremendous amount of faith in this moment. But before, of course, God would ever have him sacrifice his son, he said, Abram, I don't want you to kill your son. And he provided a sacrifice as a ram was caught in the thicket. In that which represented Abraham's sin, salvation was about to come. And God keeps showing himself faithful, though Abraham shows himself to be a liar. Abraham has a son called Isaac. Eventually, with he and his wife, even though they laughed in God's face when he came back to them and told them that that was going to happen, and guess what his son does? His son goes, hangs out in what we know as the Gaza Strip with a guy called Abimelech, and Abram had gotten his son a wife called Rebekah, and so when they show up, Isaac and Rebekah, in the land of Abimelech, he says, hey, Rebekah, you're smoking hot, just like my mama. Why don't you tell him you're my sister? You ever done that? You ever felt like you repeat the sins of your family, you just can't get out of the trajectory that was modeled before you for years? Well, Isaac did that, just like his daddy. Even though he'd seen the provision of God, he didn't trust in God. But the God of Abraham and Isaac was committed to them, not because they were good, but because he's a God of blessing. Man is a liar, but God is true. Isaac had a son, his name was Jacob. Guess what Jacob struggled with? His name literally means to grab at the heel, which is a nickname for a liar. He'll trip you up because he's a con man. And this was the con man's con man. That's what he was. <laughs> 
Jacob was a deceiver and he thought he had to make his way through life. And God kept showing him, that's not going to work out well for you. It got to the point where Jacob had to run away from his family because he had destroyed his entire family by lying to his father and stealing from his brother. And so he is found in the wilderness, sleeping on a rock in a desert. That is a picture of a life apart from God. When your pillow is a rock, you're not sleeping well. And even though this deceiver lived in the desert, there was a God who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he sought him. And that night in a dream, he had a vision of a constant chain of angels moving from God into his life. And he said, just trust me, because when you trust yourself, you end up in a barren land, disassociated from family, and your sleep is uneasy. But if you'll trust me, I would love to bless you. Jacob had to learn some lessons from other deceivers in his life until he finally got a little bit humble. But Jacob had some kids, and how did his kids do well? I won't go into it long, but they committed genocide. Instead of being forgiving and gracious to others, if they had been received graciousness and forgiveness, when somebody had done wrong to them, they put them through some little event that made them vulnerable. And then while they were healing from that event, they went and killed every man in the area. And Simeon and Levi, sons of Jacob, were destructive. Jacob had one son. His name was Joseph. Joseph struggled with arrogance and pride. As a result of that, his brothers hated him. And so they beat him and then sold him as a slave. He was sold by the Midianites to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt and now he's in Egypt and so Joseph, who is largely a good guy but couldn't stop telling everybody what a great guy he was, finds himself in Egypt and while he's there, there's a good looking woman who is the wife of his master that wanted to have relations with him. But Joseph knew that that was wrong. And he kept saying no and kept saying no until finally she threw herself at him and he ran away and she grabbed this coat that marked him and then she went and turned him in and said, he has made sport of me. And he was thrown in jail though he was innocent. But God, in his grace, even in the midst of injustice, even in the midst of adultery, even in the midst of liars, even in the midst of hereditary family sin, even in the midst of brokenness, but God kept coming after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. The story goes on and on and on, and all throughout this entire book, you see God in his kindness running after people that are anything but good. Too many of us think that this is a book which describes a bunch of rules that if you obey it, you can say, I'm a person of tithing, of church attendance. I'm a person of morality. I'm a person who does more good than more bad. And we think that this is the list of rules that tells us how to be more good than more bad. And it's not. This is not a law that you must follow or you will be saved. This is a legacy of God's faithfulness. This is not a rule book, it is a rescue story, and it's embedded in history. It's not Aesop's fables. You can go back archeologically and historically and see that it is true. And it's the story of God and his reckless pursuit of man who lies and cheats and adulterates and steals and breaks relationships 
and sleeps on rocks and lives in deserts and numbs itself with pleasures and success and wars and powers and power and yet is still lonely. And God still seeks and says, where are you? Are you lonely? Are you weary and heavy laden? Would you like some rest? God into his record of how men should live, and God does tell us how to live because he wants us to not be ignorant children, we've got to figure it out on our own, and so he's a loving father, and so he says, these things will lead to blessing, these things will lead to trouble, and he spells it out for us, but he knew we wouldn't follow the things he asked us to do, and so even in the, the law that he tells us will lead to life, he gives provision for people who don't follow the law, who can just say, hey, we're not perfect, and so there was a sacrificial system that involved, guess what, lambs. And for generation after generation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, there was non-stop trouble. And there was non-stop grace. Until finally, wonder of wonders, God introduces into the downline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a descendant who was born not just of woman, but is also born of God. And his name is Jesus. And what is impossible for man is possible with God. God perfectly intertwines humanity, which needs to be judged, and divinity, which can redeem it. And in the person of Jesus, they come together. And the very first time this Jesus is ever identified, he is identified this way. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. This Lamb of God, he runs into all kinds of people. He runs into cripples and they walk. He runs into blind people, and they see. He runs into folks in the grave, and he calls them back to life. And God is always at work. And this Jesus, in the miracle of his working, is rejected by men because men don't want to be confronted with the idea that they are liars and adulterers and that they cannot earn their righteousness on their own. And so he called them to repentance, but men don't repent, men rebel. And so they took this Jesus and they nailed him to a cross. But God, being rich in mercy, because he promised to bless the world through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let that act of aggression and rebellion against him to be a great moment of kindness. And God allowed this perfect man because he was fully God and he always walked with God to be a substitute for the sins of men. And not just a, a lamb that would temporarily anticipate the sacrifice, but the eternal lamb of God would be sacrificed on a cross so that the wages of sin against a perfect and eternal holy God could be satisfied. So that men could be reconciled back to him. Men are liars and sinners and they ruin relationships and there's barrenness and a lack of rest. But God, being rich in mercy and loving us with the love with which he loved us and showing us the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive 
by having faith in this lamb. Even as Adam received the covering of the lamb in the garden, we receive the covering of the shed blood of Jesus Christ by faith. And it's by grace we have been saved. And you're going to see all through scriptures this idea. Can I tell you what Easter should just embed in your mind? Here's just a little proverbial statement. The statement is this, that God's actions being good and perfect are not determined by your ability to see how his actions are good and perfect. If Easter screams nothing, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob scream nothing, you see that God is good and perfect. And so many of us are so angry at God because our our world is filled with thorns and thistles. And the reason our world is barren and our sleep is on a rock is not because God has forgotten us, it's because we've forgotten God. But God, being rich in mercy, has not forgotten you. And just like he sought Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he seeks you here today. He reminds you if you already know who he is. And he calls you back into relationship with him. This is what the scripture says in Proverbs 19, verse 2. It says, it's not good for man to be without knowledge. It's not good for any person to not know what is right and true and good. And the person who hurries along his own way to deceive and to make comfort for himself, that person errs. Now, what do you think people do when their life is filled with thorns, thistles, deserts, and rocks? Broken family relationships, the shame of adultery, and alienation from God. Well, we get mad at God. It's the foolishness of man that ruins his way. But what we do when our world is awful, and this world is awful, is we rage against the Lord and say, how could you make this world? And God says, I didn't make this world. Your sin did. But God. But God. Who wants to bless you. Seeks you. Call you out of your despair and wants to minister to you and restore relationship with you through the provision of the Lamb of God which has taken away your sin. Now what's amazing about Jesus is after he was raised from the dead and he showed that he was exactly who he claimed to be which is the anointed of God who is the free gift that will allow you to be blessed in ways that Jacob could only imagine that Jacob would be blessed. Is he said, listen, if you believe in me, the things that I did, even greater things will you do. I'm going to leave people who have trusted in me here in this world of thorns and thistles and hopelessness and despair, and I want you to tell others who I am. And I'm going to use you to restore people back into relationship with me. People who can't see my beauty will see. People who walk in ways that are defined by rebellion will stop walking in rebellious ways and will start to walk in righteousness. People who are dead in their trespasses and sins will be raised to newness of life. Can I just tell you something? God is true. And what I just want to do, because sometimes you read stories about the Gadarene demoniac that was a madman defined by what we would call mental illness today. He was chained and would break free from the chains and he lived in a cemetery. He lived among the dead. He was a horror to himself and to other people. And God 
sought him and healed him and he was clothed and he was in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. There were lepers, people that were unclean, that were separated from society that Jesus healed and brought back to be a blessing to society. I mean, when you read stories like that when Jesus is alive, you're like, I just wish I could see Jesus work like that. And can I tell you something? This Jesus who went to be with the Father has stayed alive and he is here with us. Now listen, listen. That Jesus who said, just like I let people miraculously be redeemed, I'm going to keep redeeming people and I'm not dead, I'm alive. And so those that know me will have the power of God through the preaching of my gospel and the work that I've accomplished to bring people into relationship with me. So what I wanna do is just tell you the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the God of Jesus is alive and he's here and he's been working in our midst. And I'm just gonna walk you through a few stories that have happened here, right here in the last Easter to Easter. Every week when you walk in, we hand you a watermark news and we, we just tell you, this is what God's doing. And this is, he's not dead because Jesus isn't dead. He still is doing greater works. People who can't see the goodness of God are seeing the goodness of God. People who can't walk in righteousness begin to walk in righteousness. People who are adulterers and liars and thieves whose life is a desert are being blessed. Here we go. We celebrated this story last April 16th. This is a picture of my friend Jack Ridley. Jack was 70 years old and he was obsessed with perfectionism. He was just like a lot of folks who were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He thought he had to keep the law, do good, do right everywhere he could. But God in his kindness called him out of where he lived and brought him to Dallas, Texas. And he put him in an apartment where he started receiving mail from the person who lived in that apartment before him. And so Jack, being a perfectionist and not wanting to make mistakes, he reaches out to that person and says, hey, I'm not gonna throw your mail away, come and get your mail. And that guy came and got his mail. And that guy's name was Joe Daly. Joe Daly happened to go to a church called Watermark and Joe wanted to deliver some other mail to Jack. And that mail was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jack came to understand that his effort to be a good man and kind and perfection would never, no matter if he lived another 70 years, lead him to grace and peace. And Jack became a follower of Jesus Christ and dealt with his addiction to perfectionism and performance and now is here and knows Christ and is a leader at this church. Here's the story. Here's the story of my friend Jason Cerrone. Jason was overwhelmed with anxiety. Why? Because he was living in a barren land, separated from his family that he had ruined with alcohol and drugs and illicit relationships. He had no relationship with his son and he cold called this church to see if somebody could help him get his family back. And they said, to get your family back, you gotta get your dignity back and you gotta begin to be the kind of man that your family shouldn't be scared of. And Jason heard the story of Jesus Christ and God called him out of darkness into life. And Jason is now one of the godliest fathers that I know and has a relationship with his son. Jason's on our staff. This is Adriana Mange. Adrienne's life before she knew Christ, and we talked about her in June. She idolized friendship, and everything she did in this world was trying just to fit in the world, and that included giving herself away to man after man, drugs to deal with the pain of loneliness, even though she was giving herself away in intimate ways, and excessive drinking. But God, being rich in mercy, brought Adriana. <laughs> 
to a place where she met other believers who were blessed and they wanted to be a blessing to her and they told her about the grace and forgiveness of Christ and said, stop raging against God. God's not your problem, sin is. And she confessed her sin and she came to Christ. And Adriana is now a leader at this church. This is Marcus Peters. We told Marcus the story in July of last year. Marcus, because he is a son of Adam and the world that we're in is not the world that we always want. And sometimes there are horrors that fall in this world and birth defects and sometimes not just birth defects, but things happen to us that make us respond in different ways. Marcus had a hopeless stuttering problem. Couldn't speak, but what he could do was study. And so he tried to find his identity in academic achievements and show up his smartness in other ways because he couldn't get words out. But then he ran into people that didn't really care that he stuttered when he spoke and shared with them how they stuttered when they lived and God brought healing to their life and how God uses our weakness to show us our need for him. And Marcus came to know Christ and deal with the pain and the trials in his life that led to so much of the stuttering life that he was in the middle of. This is the story of Rebecca Barra. Rebecca also had a hard time living a righteous life and it resulted in many unwanted pregnancies that were not dealt with in a way that God encourages to deal with unwanted pregnancies. She battled with alcohol and drugs to deal with her pain that came from those unwanted pregnancies. And then she ran into people who were blessed and decided to be a blessing to Rebecca and to love her and to lead her to a place where she could find healing and hope and restoration in Christ. Just like Mary Magdalene was haunted by seven demons, so was Rebecca. And just like Mary Magdalene met Christ and her life was redeemed and she became a blessing to others, so was Rebecca. Rebecca now leads a ministry to people who are in the middle of unwanted pregnancies. This is the story of Lauren Lubke. We talked about Laura's story in January. Laura was codependent and her codependency manifested itself not in relationships with men, but relationships with women. And yet she ran into some women in college that didn't want to just exploit her because of her neediness, but to love her in her need. And Lauren saw the kindness of Christ and what real love looked like. And Lauren is now on our staff. This is Trisha Griffin. We told Trisha's story just last month. She battled a vicious cycle of addiction, of shame and lustful thoughts and pornography that she hid from everybody around her. And yet she found a community that didn't have to manage sin and hide sin because this is a community made up of sinners. We're Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Todd Wagners. We're all broken. We're all imperfect. And we all need a savior. All of us can be defined in this way. This is Titus 3, 3 through 7. For we once ourselves were also foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But God, but God being rich in mercy has saved us, not according to deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his grace, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the spirit of Christ. And he's alive. And he wants you to know of his love and grace. Is your world barren? Have you destroyed relationships? Do you keep telling God you'll never lie again and you lie? 
Have you done things that you're certain if you had done them that there's no way God could love you? Oh man, would you meet the God of Easter? Would you meet the God who tells you, here's my nickname, I'm faithful to people who will not be faithful to me, but if they'll just have faith in me, I will grow them in their understanding and they won't rage against me, they will sing songs of my love. That's Easter. Father, I pray that we would be people that would sing songs of your love. I thank you that you're alive and so stories that are all throughout the scriptures continue to be stories right here in your church because the church of Christ was born and the things that you've done, even greater works than these will we do. Father, we thank you that there have been more miracle stories that have happened at Watermark in the last 30, last year than has happened in all the gospels combined. Because there's thousands of us who walk with Jesus, not just Jesus who walks alone. And so, Father, may we who know you be a blessing to others and walk out of here confident that we can tell stories to people whose lives are filled with thorns and thistles, who are in barren places and whose sleep is on a rock. And can we tell them of the kindness and graciousness of who you are and what you've done. We thank you that you're alive and you can live in us and therefore the power of God can continue to go out. But if there is somebody here today who is still living a life of malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, would they meet the kindness of God? Would the but God who loves the sinner be made known to them today? Would you remind them that you're alive through all the myriads of stories that we keep seeing happen? May they be the next in the story. Oh, Father, strengthen our hearts as we worship you. In Jesus' name.